it was a week ago, I want to shift gears and move our way into Acts chapter 4 this morning. Uh, just a word of uh, sort of a program note. We're going to go over today, <laughs> uh, and that's okay. Uh, I say over, um, we're, we're not, there's not a hard stop on the, on the live stream. We'll just keep going, so you folks who are watching us elsewhere, stay with us. Um, it's a little easy for them. They can just get up from their sofa and go get something to drink or something. Uh, so I'm going to give that rule um, new meaning here. If you need to use the restroom somewhere between now and 2 this afternoon... Now, if you need to take a break, stretch, go in the back, the, the ushers, they have it on all of us. They get to stand there and have fun, and uh, some of us get tired of sitting. So we'll just listen to the Lord and let him lead us forward in this, okay? So um, I feel good about that. I, I want to take you back quickly to last week. Um, and it's been a full week since we learned about this man. We don't know his name, but he was a man who who had his life changed one day when he was doing what he did every day. For as long as anybody could remember, he sat outside the temple begging people who were coming into church, the temple, uh, for money. And that's something that he had done forever. You'll recall, as folks hurried past the man who had sat there that long, suddenly something happened that had you been there, or had I been there, you would never stop, on my prediction, talking about it for the rest of your life. You would bring it up over coffee with somebody. You would Facebook it. You would, uh, you would Instagram it. It would be hashtagged all over the world. It would have been an epic, never-to-be-forgotten moment for you if you or I had been there. We would likely keep talking about it and still today get misty when we think about a man who was miraculously healed. Uh, from birth, from birth, this man had never walked, much less stood on his own two feet. Never once. I can't go there. I can't imagine that. I know some people like that, stricken by polio. But this man knew nothing else but being laid outside the temple, begging for handouts, and he was healed. <laughs> I just love, I love the time I've spent with this man this last couple of weeks. So I thought, what's it, you, you want to jog to the store, bro? You know, it had been different. Everything would have been different. Um, so... Uh, in the words of Peter, because everybody was asking, this is how he described what, this was the astonished look on people's faces. When they're looking at this man, they'd never seen like that. He, they said this in chapter 3 of Acts, verse 16. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. Y'all have that question on your mind. What is this going on here? What's that all about? And they answer it, this man was healed. You are people who knew him to be crippled for as long as you can remember, but faith in Jesus' name has healed him, ready, before your very eyes. There's something about firsthand, isn't there? You, you can, I could tell you about Hungary because I was there. 
I could tell you about some things. So can you, because only you were there or, uh, or, or the rest of us weren't. And we're, we listen to you because it's, wow, it's, it's firsthand for you. Um, I think we would have been the people, look at, if your Bible's not open, chapter 3, verse 11. Um, these people didn't just go, hey, I better, better look into this thing. No, they came, it says there that they came, they were astonished, and they came running to find out. There's energy, there's, what is the, what, huh, whoa. I mean, you lose words, because it's all happening. Um. Uh, I'm pretty sure your plans wouldn't have mattered the rest of that day. You'd have, you'd have just replayed it in your mind. That was the case for this crowd of people that were gathered. And the apostles, there were two of them, two of the 12 at this gathering. They were the ones through whom the Holy Spirit healed this man. Their names are Peter and John. And those two apostles did not falter at this moment. Instead, they said, here, let us explain to you what happened here. And, of course, the crowd was huge as people listened. And they, and they talked to an odd, not O-D-D, A-W-E-D. They were odd audience for like four hours. I know that because this healing happened at 3 in the afternoon when the man went into the temple to pray in the afternoon prayer time. I'm recapturing last week a little bit. But we're told in a minute that it was sunset, and therefore what, it, what you're about to discover this morning happened because um, it was sunset. So I'm, I'm gathering from that quick math. It's about four hours the apostles stood there and explained to person after person and group after group what had taken place. Um, And then, in the middle of the excitement, did you, you know, there's this sudden and incredibly disappointing mood change. You, you, if you were there, we were there, we'd have gone, really? A mood change that was like a showstopper. It was both surprising and 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 disappointing who it came from. Now you're ready to read with me chapter 4. Um, the scene is described, and um, here's how the disturbance got started. The priests and captains of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people, explaining what had just happened. They were greatly, look at the word there if your Bible's open, greatly disturbed What? (laughs) Greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they seized Peter. That means they cuffed him. Okay? They put a set of bracelets on the guy. And John, because it was evening, and they put them in jail until the next day. No good deed goes unpunished, huh? This is, this is hard. This is unbelievable. It's like, it, it, you can't imagine this really happened. But many who heard, look verse four, who heard the message believed the message that they were telling. They believed. So the number of men 
who believed grew to about 5,000. So they've gone from the end of chapter um, chapter 2 from about 3,000 to 5. This thing's blowing up with excitement. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. So was Caiaphas, the former high priest. And John and Alexander and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. Look at their question. By what power or what name did you do this? All right. You just read strong resistance. But you probably, let me put some emotion to it, are just as disappointed and shocked as I am where it came from. This was not, this did not come from Roman rulers like Pilate going, you know what, I'm sick of y'all. It would be like the governor of Oregon saying that. Never mind, let me switch subjects. Uh, um, It would be like somebody in charge in the secular government um, coming to kind of squash the enthusiasm. You're done with those religious nuts would be your thinking. You could guess even that it would be somebody like um, uh, Herod Antipas. He was uh, the governor up in the north. Um, Pilate was the governor down in Judea, Jerusalem, and Antipas was the governor up north in Galilee. But it wasn't either of them. I read it slowly so we could kind of take it in. These were the religious rulers of the day who are doing the strongest pushback of all. What's wrong with this picture? We can go into lots of detail who they were, the priests. They're immeasurably influential leaders in the temple. They're the ones pushing back. Their work was to keep the law of Moses and lead the people of God in worship. That's the priests, not to be outdone by the temple guards. You see they're next in that list right at the beginning of this? The temple guard, who if they didn't wear badges like our ushers, uh, but their badge wouldn't have said, hi, how may I help you, or welcome to the temple to worship, and blah, blah, blah. They would have said something like, I'm here to protect, and I'm here with a sword to enforce it. So ushers, bring your swords next week, right? (laughs) I mean, is that crazy? In the temple, part of their job was to protect the temple treasury. So we got a sword. We know how to use it. Those are the people that Luke is calling attention to. Um, By the way, some of you know your Bible well enough to know that last week of Jesus' life when he was arrested on the night that Judas betrayed him. Who arrested him? Temple guards. Look it up, Luke 22. You'll see it, see it for yourself. But there's a third group here, and they're really, they, they, they have that, the bell ringing religion going on. Right? They were Sadducees. We're told that right there. The Sadducees came up to Peter and John. They were, they were the religious radical right. Super conservative who held tightly to the Pentateuch. 
That's the first five books of the Bible. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Say that fast. All right? And they, they would be insulted by my statement right there. Sacred text, and I'm not belittling that. But their determined dogma was the rejection of the afterlife. They absolutely emphatically did not accept the notion of the resurrection. And, and if you reject that, then you reject all sense of reward someday or punishment for people that are, that are evil. You just got the gospel. They taught that God was distant and disconnected from people. What's that sound like? Don't say Bette Midler's song, God is watching us from a distance, although that's really bad theology. But, but it's deism, is it not? Yeah, God made the world, but God takes this approach to the world now. Sometimes he even does this. It means what we just did for Ukraine didn't matter. I don't believe that for a second. I don't think you do either. These, these people, their beliefs were, <laughs> in fact, they're Sadducees. We used to say they're sad, you see. <laughs> anyway, just a joke. Uh, it went over better with youth. Uh, but anyway, um, so thank you very much. Um, so, so to them, these three, Peter and John were speaking outrageous and illegal things. Do you realize what I just said? Look again at verse 2. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection. <gasps> the what? The resurrection of the dead. How dare you? Do you see the, the... It's like you can't make this stuff up. Um... Don't miss verse 4, though. I think it's there to keep us interested instead of just turning our nose and walking away from this. Apparently not all of them were idiots. Apparently, apparently not all of them were ab absolutely checked out. It, it shames me to say that because it's the religious leaders I'm talking about. Verse 4 tells me many who heard the message did what? They believed, and it grew and grew. So we're not done with this, unfortunately. This, the, the religious leaders, the very next morning, um, the rulers, the elders, teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Um, this is the high council. You know it as the Sanhedrin. There's 70 people in total, and they met because this problem um, won't go away. And they, they gather and they, they want to know a question, a simple question in their minds. Um, who authorized you? Look, their own words are recorded here. By what power or what name did you do this? <laughs> so they want to know. They don't want to interview the man. Talk to them what it feels like to walk for the first time. They want to know, 
who gave you authority to do that? Good. Thank you for chuckling. This is, I mean, this is, this is so silly. It's awkward. But these are the religious elite. Um, you tell us who gave you the authority, by what power, by what name did you do this? Uh, you mean heal the, the lame beggar? Just let the question sit there. That doesn't make any sense. Unless you're them and you have a self-declared exclusive lock on authority, religious authority. And that means they didn't have a authorization to change a man's life for the good. Um, this is a little bit like uh, you're the first to the scene of an accident. That's happened to me more than once. And it happened right in front of you. Of course, there's no medical aid there. You're the only person. You hit the brakes hard, jump out of your car, your car, and you rush over, and you render life-saving aid. The person lived. The person got well. The person uh, did a photo op, wanted a picture with you, the, this, this total stranger, the good Samaritan. And he's arrested on the, on the scene and hauled out in cuffs. And you go, what just happened here? And they say, you have a license to rescue people? Do you have a license to pull people out of a burning car? How dare you? Do you, do you get, you're getting it now, aren't you? That's what's going on here. It's that kind of illogic. Never mind. Never mind that there's a man about 40 years old, we're told, that was last seen jogging around Jerusalem. That's a problem. Because that makes you smile, but it wasn't done properly. All right. I'm just going to give it a label and move on. This is what we call an adventure in missing the point. If you're one of these guys. So Peter's words show up next. They're being asked. How'd you pull this off? Who gave you the right? Who gave you the authority to do this? So verse 8 picks up with beautiful words. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and being asked how he was healed, there's a tone of question here. Then know this. You and all the people of Israel, so not just the, the Supreme Court here, but all the people of the land. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man now stands before you healed. Is that too good? And Jesus is, in case you're still trying to connect dots, he is the stone that the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And then 
because he had their attention, he finishes with words you need to put to memory. Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. No one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given to mankind by which you must be saved. Thank you for that little whispered amen. Huh? It's true, people. There you go. It's, this, is, this is ridiculously true. And it's ridiculously unpopular in a pluralistic, um, hey, there's lots of ways to heaven. You've got your way, I've got my way. Okay. Let's stay with this for a minute. Um, remember when Jesus uh, tipped some people over with a single verse? I've often referred to it as the most politically polarizing verse in the Bible. Certainly um, politically incorrect. You know the verse I'm thinking of? John 14, 6. It's the mirror verse only spoken by Jesus, not by Peter. I am the way, said Jesus. Not a way, not one of many. The way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And he didn't just leave it there and go, so make sense out of that, will you? No one comes to the Father in heaven except through me, says Jesus Christ. John 14, 6. If you were in this audience, this 70 people, you'd have gone, to Peter's word, salvation's found no one else. There's no other name under heaven by which... That has been given to be. That sounds awful lot like, oh gosh, you're kidding me. Those are like a redo of Jesus' words, the same words. Um, let's back up for a second, just point out the obvious. These 70 are challenging. Uh, the authority of the two, Peter and John, right? Um, it had to remind everybody in that gathering, these are not clueless people. I pick on them a lot because they know, they know better. They knew back in Matthew 21, a similar scene that unfolded. I'll just read it to you. See if you can't go, wow, that's a mirror. Matthew 21. When Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they said. He's teaching. He's healing. He's setting people free. He's forgiving. He's doing all those things. They asked, by what authority? And who gave you this authority, they went on. Jesus said to them, have you not read the scriptures? Everybody look back. 
you have your Bible open Matthew, uh, to Acts 4, verse 11, okay? I'm quoting from Matthew now. Jesus said to them, have you not read the scriptures? Guess what? He quoted these exact words. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And, and in doing so, he's quoting not only Psalm 118, verse 24, he is quoting the, the truth that applies, uh, that Peter's trying to make a point about in his rebuttal. It's a consistency here. It's not 1824, it's 22. Psalm 118, 22. The stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. I'm not finished quoting that. Let me just tell you the reaction there because it's not different than the reaction here. When the chief priests and Pharisees heard Jesus' words, they realized that he was speaking about them. And when they sought to seize him, they feared the people because the people considered Jesus to be a prophet. Talk about a flashback. Um, and then Peter points 70 ways. Jesus is the stone you and you and you I don't know how much time elapsed here but he covered them all the stone that you rejected it was a a pregnant moment that would not go away that made everybody want to get away they were they were cringing. And the offense was great. That pronoun was intended. He is the cornerstone that you crucified. You rejected. Um, don't make the mistake of thinking that what we're reading here is something Peter made up. And don't, don't believe in or look another way for an answer to the biggest question of all. Uh, how, can I, how can I be healed in this life? How can I be prepared for the next life? Um, these people that we're talking about here, I, I've said enough. I have a lot more to say about them, but they are... Let me just leave it with a label that I, I thought my way through. They are keepers of what is correct. At least that's how they were viewed in that day. And that comes with a, a couple of scoops of pride. If I know what's correct, the inference is you don't, so keep listening. That is a mistake that has been made throughout the ages. There's a whole church that used to make sure that the Bible was only in their language and that the average uneducated person couldn't make sense out of it. That is, that is not God's way. Um, here's the crazy part of that is they are the keepers of what is correct and their compass was a couple of clicks off true north. 
They have some things right, but not everything. Charles Spurgeon described it this way. Discernment is not simply telling the difference between right and wrong. Rather, it is the difference between right and almost right. Religion can be almost right, but not right. Do you, you with that? Take that in. Religion sounds so right. Why are you bringing up Jesus? I'm a religious guy. Is that really necessary? Those are who Peter is here challenging. That's why verse 12 was so shocking. Salvation is found in Jesus, only Jesus, period. Jesus plus nothing. Not religion. Not improving conduct. I have an unforgettable story I want to tell you about, and I don't know how much more time we'll have, but this is, it's a true story. Um, this scene we're reading about reminds me of this story. Um, I officiate at uh, quite a number of memorial services, uh, celebrations of life. And uh, when I know that that person who passed is, has turned to be with Jesus face to face, it's a profoundly humbling experience and a privilege that is unequaled in the work I do as a pastor. So um, it's um, one time, uh, true story, it happened where uh, someone called me and they knew that they would soon turn for home. And um, they said they wanted to meet with me. This happens uh, frequently, so... And this, this person wanted to make something very clear. They knew that the, the gathering to celebrate their life would be uh, filled with a variety of people. And they were very intent on making sure that uh, this wasn't all about them. In fact, the very words I heard were, please don't, don't, don't celebrate me, celebrate Jesus. Make this about Jesus Christ. Um, so, and, and there was a certain plea in his voice. He wasn't just being sort of self-effacing and, uh, and humble. He really meant it. Uh, and he probably knew his friends pretty well, too, that they would just think the world of him. And uh, so I did what he asked. He passed, and turns out there was a person in the gathering, maybe more, but... Um, and he wrote me later, this person did, quite upset. Don't know him at all, never met him, and haven't heard from him since. But these were his words. Why did you make it about Jesus? I came to hear about my friend. I'll tell you why he's in heaven, which is something I talked a lot about. I'll tell you why he's in heaven, because he's a damn good guy. That's why he made it. First time I've ever cussed in church, right there. 
potty mouth. Okay, I'm sorry. but uh, I'm staring at this guy's email. And I, and I thought before I responded. And then I replied, you know what? You're right. Our, our mutual friend is a very good guy. <laughs> but he wasn't good enough to get into heaven. Nobody is. I wasn't done writing. And I said what I said because he was insistent that I tell you the whole truth. And I was done. <laughs> he wasn't. He shot back his very words. Yeah, that's what I expected you would say. You preachers are all alike. And uh, he asked me to please not respond again. And I didn't. Um, the truth is, God saved that man. And saves all who believe in Jesus by his grace. That's still true today, 100%. No one gets to take credit for making it to heaven. When will we get that? Um, religion sure can't. Salvation is not a reward of good things you've done. It's the result of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Truly the only good one. Um, I, uh, I want to ask you some questions about if you called me in and said, Pastor, I know I'm going to leave this life soon. Um, would you be like that man? Or, um, or would you be somewhat insecure because you don't really, you don't, you don't for sure for sure have a story to tell i know there could, it could be said pastor this this church is filled with people that belong to jesus i'm not disputing that at all i'm simply asking this question because you're around a lot of people that are believing a lesser religion so am i we're around people that think if you're good enough doggone it Why would God not find that acceptable? I have just three places for you to read. Psalm 14, Psalm 53, and Romans chapter 3. And you will see both in the Old Testament and New, emphatically, our self-assessment is far from accurate. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift from God, not as a result of works, so that none of you can boast. 
Have you turned to Jesus Christ and said, your rap sheet's established. You don't even need to confess it. You don't need to talk about all the nuances of the, the ways you missed the mark. You just need to say something like that guy in Luke 18 who said, beating his chest, God have mercy on me, the sinner. And Jesus was the one that told that story. And he told it with a smile because it's so incredible. He just, one word, I'm the sinner. I don't need to cover all the details. Jesus has them. But he's the only one that can dispense what's needed for you to to find your way home. Mercy and grace. If you know somebody that's believing a religion that won't get them home, please don't waste time gently telling them about the true way, the true life. His name's Jesus. I'd like you to bow with me this morning. I am I'm very aware that there's so much more in this scene. We'll probably pick it up in a future week. There's a lot of takeaways, and the most important of all is, is you and I have a have a towering piece of truth that's been presented by him. And his Holy Spirit is having me stop short of where I had planned to finish today because I think he wants you to be really sure. It's going to be a private moment. I'm going to ask the lights to come back down with you, Matt. And, and I want to give you time to really think about, start with yourself. Can you say with certainty that verse 12 is true for you? There's salvation in no other answer to the question but Jesus Christ. If, you, if you've gone down a wrong path, you could, you could just toss your hands in the air and say it's just such a defeat. I'm so embarrassed, ashamed. I'm can't believe I was hoodwinked or fooled into thinking that my goodness would be enough. No one's disputing your goodness. It's just not good enough. You need the righteousness, absolute perfection of Jesus Christ. You say, well, Pastor, that's true of Jesus, but how could that be true of me? There's the miracle we're talking about. It's the miracle of grace. And it can be true of you by simply confessing with your mouth, Jesus, you are Lord. Believing in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead. And the Bible says of you, you will be saved. If you've never done that, be sure of that this morning. I've done this recently. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to make my way down to the front. And if you want to pray, 
or you want to pray for somebody in your life that you know. They're trying to be good. They're trying to get their act together, but you know they lack the person and the power of Jesus Christ. Then you make your way to the front. There'll be room on the steps. Just kneel down. Somebody will put an arm over your, on your shoulder and pray for you. It's just you. But it may, let's start with you. That could spread out to your family and co-workers and friends and whoever. Um, God have mercy on me, the sinner. It's very close to the song we're going to sing right now. Lord, I need you. Um, make that your own song. Okay. Let's respond. Let's stand together and make your way down to the front if you want prayer or want to Redouble that commitment that you've made to Jesus. Let's stand together.